Go to Mark chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I, I want to tell you, as a church, thank you. Um, I turned 40 in March, and I graduated grad school in May. And as a church, you were all just generous with cards and, and gifts and different things of the sort over the last few months. And I, I just want to tell you thank you. It was very encouraging, especially on the 40 side of things. It, it helped out a lot. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very thankful. It's, and also at the same time in finishing schoolwork, being able to be afforded to be able to do that. And I, I very much appreciate you all for that. Also, I appreciate your help in regards to our, our mission trips that we go on. And one part of this aspect, and we've talked about it a little, is that we're not just going to do work, but we spend time in discipleship while we're there. Every, Every day there are four moments in which we approach the Bible. It's in the morning uh, when they, when I get the awesome opportunity for our entire camp this year to be able to be that person that gives them just something quick in the morning to get their hearts and minds not just focused on their work, but focused on Jesus Christ as they go out the door. While they're at the work site, they have a time for a devotion. Usually when they eat their lunch, they come back. I again get the opportunity this year to speak to them in the evenings. And then they get together as a youth group for a devotion. And it's all themed to where it all just coincide and coincides and goes together. We try to make it as simple as possible the way we do this with group work camps. And so this year's theme is the road, as uh, Tom Schultz said in the video. And we're going to be breaking down over six days the passage in Luke about the Emmaus Road disciples, which is going to be really really awesome and you might think really for six days 24 times you're going to talk to kids and there's 24 different things you can say to them about that passage yes i've seen the material <laughs> it's there and it's awesome so getting this opportunity with the kids it's not just working on homes it's not just building porches as as joe and shauna can attest that as ones who've been before no it's finding out and drawing closer to your lord and so be not just in prayer for our safety as we travel, because we have band drivers like Joe Franks. I'm just kidding. He's, he's awesome. Joe, Joe. But um, also be in prayer for our students as they learn, because this is an awesome opportunity for them to grow in their faith. This morning we're going to mark chapter 1, and we're mainly going to look at, at verse 40 and, and beyond from there, but we're going to kind of step back in a moment and look at what Jesus has been doing before that. But before we get to that point, I, I want to read the passage and then we'll have a word of prayer. It says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to speak freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people we're coming to him from every quarter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking for just teachability. 
asking him to uh, just watch over and bless those who watch over us. Uh, Ron, if you would, would you offer a prayer for us, please? I'm going to ask you a hard question. It's in the top of your notes. What makes you angry? Like what just eats at you? And I'm not just talking about pet peeves, but what makes you angry or when was the last time you got angry? Now, if you've got an ink pen, I want you to write it down. If not, I want you to make a mental note of that one thing that pops into your head that makes you angry, that thing that just irritates you. And it may be one of those things over and over again, or even better yet, when was the last time you just got, as we would say around my house growing up, steamed? My mother used to say that. Why are you so steamed? I never understood what that meant till I had to boil some eggs on my own. And I wasn't sure, like, how warm is that vapor coming off of it? It's hot. When did you get steamed? The other day we were getting ready for Spokes for Hope, and Jack and I were going to go pick some of the students up from Marlowe. And he was running a little bit late, and I was running a little bit late. And so I was like, hey, let's just go. We'll run through the drive through McDonald's. We'll get something to eat. And then we'll just head up that way. Because obviously that saves time rather than eating at home. It actually probably took longer. Anyhow, so we go, we get in line, and we supposedly get our food, and we're driving up, and Jack's like going through the bag, and he's like, hey, aren't you supposed to have a sandwich in here? And he goes, everything is in here except your sandwich. I'm like, really? My sandwich. And I, and I got, I got irritated. I was like, how hard is it? Sausage, egg McMuffin. That's it. You even order it by a number to save them time. I didn't have my sandwich. And so next stoplight, I got my phone out. Where's the receipt with the phone number? I'm on the phone with the lady. And I said, listen, I didn't get my sandwich. But I don't have time to turn around. So what do I, what do we do? You know, like she's really going to solve my problem. I mean, I was, I was hungry. And the coffee I had was not going to do the job. Right. Lady was really nice. She goes, oh, well, next time you come in, just let me know. And I'm like, okay, who is me? Who is this? And I'm thinking, who, who is this? What's your name? She tells me your name. So the next morning I go in to get my sandwich. And I was like, you know what? If I was rude to you on the phone, I'm sorry. I was probably hangry and I was in a rush to do everything. And she goes, I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember that conversation. And I'd already begun working on this and I, and it got me thinking, You know, sometimes we get angry over little, 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 little petty things that five minutes later, by tomorrow morning, won't really matter. And we are all susceptible to it. We are all susceptible to it. There's always something that just, mm, it drives us crazy. But really, when we step back and look at the big picture of things, we're like, I'm okay. I'm still breathing. Jack gave me half of one of his hash browns. He was very generous. No, no, I was okay. It wasn't a big deal. But sometimes it seems in that moment like it's so important. You may wonder, what does anger have to do with this passage? Well, I want to show you. Because sometimes when you translate a word it's hard to really get into the meaning of the word. And sometimes people overthink something when they translate a word. And sometimes when those writers were copying down the scripture, the earlier manuscript may have said one thing, that that early original 
may have said one thing when Mark wrote it down. And some guy thought, well, that's really hard to understand. Let me just alter the word a little bit so it's easier. And we find that every once in a while. That's why when we find those older manuscripts, we're like, wow, we found it. Okay, that's the real original word. It's sort of like in medicine when they discover something new. Oh, well, we should change the way we do this. And we, we they don't bloodlet anymore to try to get disease out of the body. They just discovered, hey, letting people just bleed is just a, it's a bad thing. Well, let's stop doing that practice, right? Well, scriptural, textual criticism is the exact same way. So what I want to ask David, if you would, throw those verses back up there again. Because essentially today we're going to talk... Is there another one with all the scripture on it? We're going to talk about one single solitary word. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to look in Mark chapter 41. Now, I'm going to go around the room and I'm going to ask up, up there, I think is the, uh, flipper came to him. Yeah. Is the ESV. I just want to go around the room and ask different Bible translations. I'm not going to pick on you for any reason. All right. What do you got, Dale? You got a King James? King James, I thought I saw it. King James, somebody got something different. Anybody got a new, pardon me? RSV, Revised Standard Version. Somebody else, anybody? New Americans, I know a lot of you would have New American Standard. Anybody else? ESV, yeah. NIV, okay. So you see that verse 41, it says, moved with pity. Does anybody have a different word other than pity? Compassion. Wow, that was very loud. Compassion. Which seems like a great word. Which isn't isn't that bad of a word either, but it doesn't really get to the moment of how Jesus felt. We'll get to that in a second, but what I want to do is I want to I want to catch you up with what's been going on. Well, here's what happened. And we don't know how how many days before all this happens, but if you just back up in your Bible, and I'm not going to read it verse by verse, but I want to just catch you up with what happens between the calling of the disciples, which we talked about a month ago, and this. Jesus walks into a synagogue, and he begins to teach. And while he's there, and this is in verse 21, a demon-possessed man starts to really object to what's going on. Now he's there on the Sabbath. This demon-possessed guy starts freaking out. It's really the demon inside of him. So guess what Jesus does? He does two things. He silences the demon and kicks him out of the man. Now keep in mind that of all days that he does this on, he does it on the Sabbath. Could get, a little, could, a little, could, get, could get rough. Well, they leave from church and they do what a lot of people do. They go over to someone's house. You might know whose house they go to. Anybody know? They go to Simon Peter's house. Anybody remember the story? Anybody know what's wrong with Simon Peter's mother-in-law? She's, she's very seriously ill. I mean, death's door, ill. What day is it again? Sabbath day. Guess what Jesus does? Because he's Jesus. He heals her on the Sabbath. This is just Mark chapter 1. And he's already starting to, he's going to start ruffling a little feathers. So, on one Sabbath, in which they are told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, which means remember, it doesn't mean don't do something. It actually means remember the Sabbath day and set it apart. Remember the Sabbath day. Focus upon God on this day. And how better do you focus upon God than for people to see God's glory? So a demon's been cast out. 
and the lady's been healed and she, she feels so much better. She doesn't lay there and say, let me recover. She starts to prepare a meal for everyone there. Well, news gets out and people start to show up, but guess when they show up? Do you think they show up on the Sabbath day? They wait for the sun to go down because they're that superstitious. It's the, it's that evening. The sun has gone down. So it's the next day. So now it's okay for us to walk to get healing. Some of y'all are grinning. How many of you think that now that I think about it, that kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? You see, we're that silly that sometimes too. They had put God in a box and said, well, we know God can work, but for God to heal this person, we're going to have to wait until we're allowed to walk from here to here. See, Jesus did all the walking, so that was okay. What the Bible tells us is that they didn't just start showing up one by one by one by one. Mark uses a a little phrase in there to simply describe the entire town of Capernaum showing up in front of Peter's house. It's Mark chapter 1. I mean, you think that these things would build? This is how Mark starts his gospel. Okay? Here's Jesus. He calls some disciples. They begin to follow him. He goes into a synagogue. He preaches. He casts out a demon on the Sabbath. Goes to Peter's house. Heals his mother-in-law on the Sabbath. And then he's got these superstitious believers who don't want to walk too far to get healing from someone that they love or maybe even themselves. They have to wait because this is the box that God's going to work in. Well, Jesus is already working outside the box. And a huge crowd of people show up. And while we begin to find this, and I want to read the few verses before Jesus cleanses the leper. It says, that evening is summed down, verse 32, they brought all those who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city gathered together at the door. More than likely Simon Peter's house. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then it says this, rising barely in the morning while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and prayed. And Simon and those who were with, with him searched for him. They found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said, let's go to the next town so that I might preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And that gets us to this point. Now we don't know if this is the next day, next week, even in the next month. We're not given kind of a daytime what this is, but this is also the same miracles recorded, I believe, in Matthew and, and Luke as well. And so set yourself on this, on the scene. Whether he's walking down a road or whether he's in one of those places where people are just starting to come to him. And they hear the ringing of the bell. They hear the guy yelling, unclean! Unclean! as a warning to everybody around him. I imagine the scene in my head, and I imagine a a great crowd of people, and as soon as somebody yells, unclean, unclean, it parts like Moses parting the Red Sea. People are stepping back away, saying, I do not want to touch that. I do not want it to bump into me. That human, that disease. Imagine it's like that, or it's very early in the morning. 
And there's Jesus, maybe just with his disciples. And as the leper sees people, by the, by the law they had, he had to yell, unclean! Unclean! Announcing himself so no one would touch him. Can you imagine having to walk around yelling for people not to touch you? Yelling essentially saying, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. That's what this guy is living with. Every day he is living with this and he approaches Jesus and the disciples. And there he is. And the guy comes and he kneels and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41, it says, moved with pity. David, go to the next slide. We may have to Skip a view on there. No, that's perfect. Now, I'm really horrible at my Greek pronunciations because it's been a while. But I want to show you something. The older, oldest, and really reliable copies of the manuscript of Mark in its original Greek have a different word than the later ones for that word pity. I'm going to try to say this word, but again, it's like my, my, I'm out of practice. Orgis theus. Orgis theus means being angry. In the original manuscript, it reads that Jesus was moved with anger. You might be like, whoa, that's a lot different than what I have right here. The later ones, which is a lot easier to, to reconcile, says this word, which isn't too far from the situation. It's it's splanch, not blanch, but splanch. Splanchness, the is, which means filled with compassion. Now, I'll be honest with you. The other day when my sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin did not get into the bag, I did not think to myself, wow, what's going on with them that they missed it? Are they okay? Do they need to go to the eye doctor? I didn't, I didn't think that. I didn't think, wow, are they distracted because things going on at home and they totally forgot to put it in the bag. I was not moved with compassion. Nor the kind of anger I felt was really not what's right here. Theologians debate whether or not this word anger really, really fits, but at the same time, he's going to give a stern warning a few verses later to this, to this guy who formerly had leprosy, to say, don't go tell everybody, just do what the Mosaic Law says. Take your offering to the temple and offer it up. Go back to your regular life. But he, he asks him, please don't tell everybody about me yet. It's, the time isn't right. That's essentially what Jesus is asking the guy. And so some people have a, have a hard time with thinking of Jesus mad. Not really mad, but angry. Maybe even frustrated. But I think of the cleansing of the temple when there were some people who were really, they were number one, they were being dishonest in what they were sell, they were essentially ripping people off and selling them sacrifices in a really horrible way. They had, they had turned the outer courts, which were meant to be a place where people who were non-Israelites, non-Jews could come hear the, hear about God. They had turned it into a marketplace that was Nothing but immoral. He made a whip and drove those people out. Jesus got angry. 
There are times when Simon Peter just didn't get it. And Jesus said, get behind me. I think Jesus had a little bit of, well, not mean in his voice, but a little bit of fire. Like, you just don't get it. I think in this passage, Jesus saw the man in his state. And he was filled with a raw emotion. How many of you have ever seen something and you've said, that's just not right? That shouldn't happen. Anybody ever seen or, or been somewhere? We, we, we saw it this week. I had kids in our youth group who said, I didn't know other kids live like this. Anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever heard, heard or seen a need and it just broke your heart and you're just mad that nobody else has done something now until now for them? Last year when we were in Haiti, I, I asked one of the, uh, actually I asked the guy who was driving us around, uh, Moliere, and I said, hey, I've noticed there are not a lot of senior citizens around. And he said, well, usually many times they are just essentially kicked out of the home and left to fend for themselves because there's not enough food to provide for everyone. And that just, that, that's heartbreaking to even think. I don't think Jesus was mad here. But I just didn't think, I just don't think he was like, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't think it was that. I think he saw this man's, this man's plight. I think he, he heard the words unclean coming out of his mouth. And I, and I, and I honestly believe in my heart that that word anger is, is the word. Cause I think he saw him and thought, this shouldn't be happening. This, this isn't right. And I'm going to do something about it. He wasn't angry at the man. The man was full of faith. The man completely believed in Jesus. He said, if you are willing, you say if you're willing to do something. You know, Gene asked me a while back right after, well, before you had your knee, Gene said, hey, if you could, would you be in charge of Wow Wednesday? That's Gene believing in me that I can put together something for a Wow Wednesday, right? If you're willing, James, be in charge of Wow Wednesday, right? I'm going to embarrass Lori. I saw Lori one Sunday morning. I said, you know, Lori, I'd love for you to think about helping us out with the youth group. That's an if you are willing. I believe in you. And we've all had those moments when somebody asks us to do something. You don't ask somebody to do something if you think they may not be able to do it. That guy fully believed in Jesus. He had complete faith in Jesus. He said, if you're willing, you can. Look at those. He says, you have the full ability. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And he was on his knees. Now, does Jesus just say, I am. Be healed and that's it? No, he does the one thing that that guy hadn't felt in a long time. He touches him, Dale. He touches the guy. So do you think he was angry at the man? No. I think he was moved by the man's situation. I think he saw that need and he said, oh, I can, we'll do something about this. And he told that man, you're, be clean, go do what you're supposed to do according to the law of Moses and don't tell anyone. And you read the last verse of the passage and the guy completely ignores the last thing that Jesus said. Now, we don't know if he never made it to the temple. I really honestly believe he probably did make it to the temple to offer up that. I mean, because by the way, if that was me, and I had leprosy, and I had to go live in a leper colony, and I hadn't seen my wife and kids for years. You better believe, oh, I gotta go just offer a little simple sacrifice. 
and go show the priest how I look so I can go back home? Absolutely I'm going to do that, but I'm going to have a hard time not talking about the person who did it just because of my human nature, and I love to talk. That's why I do this for a living. No, I don't. You do too. We can recognize our own. Anyways. Um, but the truth is, is that here is this guy. And here's this Jesus who does not like his situation, who doesn't like how Satan is working in his world. And Jesus who's beginning to say, I'm going to do something about it. You see, the problem is with us is that we don't have enough of those moments like Jesus. We sometimes don't get angry for the right things. We don't. We get angry for the petty stuff. And that's when Satan's working in our life and our own selves, tempting ourselves away from Jesus and getting our focus off of Jesus. You know, we may hear, and I've, and I've talked to Carol about this this week, that there, there are people who are in denial that there are children who are hungry every day in Duncan. I've seen them. I've seen how some of them live. I've sat in the van with coaches. We've gone door to door. Coach Bowers as we've gone door to door. And he has said, listen, I can't go into it, but that's a rough situation. I know those kids. I've had those kids in my class. And he's been, I, I, oh man, what they have to go through. And there's some people who hear it who say, well, no, there's not a problem. Or there's some people who hear it who say, well, maybe somebody will get to it. And then there's some people who hear that need and say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this because I don't like that situation. That's kind of the right kind of anger to say that just isn't right. We've had this before here. We have kids who come into our church and they've come into other churches that I've been at who don't know how to behave at church. And really, it's not that they don't know how to behave at church. I'm going to let you all in on something. It's not that they don't know how to behave at church. They just don't know how to behave. It has nothing to do with the building you're in. It has to do with how you're being raised. Heard somebody one time refer to them as feral children. And it's true. It's true. I'm domesticated. I'm fat, happy, and domesticated. But I had parents who drug me to church. I had a dad who taught me right from wrong, and I had a mother who did not spare the thought of correction. And it was hanging up right next to the phone in our kitchen. It was about the size of a ruler. It said, I kid you, you ask my brother and sister. And she'd have to get it restained every once in a while because the oil from her hand, especially when I came around. I tried to hide it one time. She went and found a ruler. Rulers have metal edges on them. Anyways, um, so, but these kids show up sometimes and they don't know how to behave and heaven forbid, they may say a word that's too sensitive to our ears. Now we have one of few choices. When a child misbehaves in church, sometimes it's, oh, the youth pastor and the pastor and the kids class leader is not doing their job. Well, you can get angry and say that. Sometimes it's, oh, I just don't want to hear that. Which, by the way, I don't want to hear it either. That's why I don't watch certain movies. That's why I don't listen to certain types of music. Or we can get angry and broken hearted for the child like Jesus was for the leper and say, what is going on at home? What is going on in this child's life that they think that that is right? And what can I do to help? We can get 
angry about little petty things. And you know what? We're getting angry about our breakfast sandwich not being in the bag. Which, by the way, I got my breakfast sandwich the next day, and it was perfectly timed. Just letting you know. It was. And when we let our anger go in the wrong directions or for the wrong things, the little bitty things, we begin to lose sight of Jesus. As Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith. So if you ask me, do you think Jesus was angry? I think he was angry, but I think he was angry of what the guy's situation of life was. He was not angry at the man. I believe he was angry at that disease. There's a lot of biblical scholars who, who write, I was reading in different commentaries, who believe that even, even in this passage, that this, that this disease in this moment could have been satanically afflicted on the man. Whatever the case may be, Jesus did not like it, and he didn't stand back and say, Simon Peter, do something about it. He didn't. He said, I will. And he touched that guy. Every time I read this, whether I'm preparing it for a message or whether I'm just reading it, like I've told you, Mark is my go-to gospel. I love it. After I read he, that he touches the man, maybe for weeks, I keep thinking, he's touching that guy. One last thing, and we're going to gonna close this up. Jesus, in that moment, moved with emotion, was not afraid of the problem. He was not afraid of that disease. He was not afraid to touch that guy. And see, this is how we can move to be able to be moved by the right things and motivated by the right things and to be able to stand up and say, this isn't right. Lord, help me do something about it. You see, in so many times when we see somebody with a problem, whether it be someone who's gone through some moral failure or whether it's we see that person begging for food or money on the street corner. For many of us, we're backing away because we don't want to get whatever they've got on us. I'm going to tell you something. Poverty is not contagious. It's not. Having struggles and addictions in life and needing someone to pray for you, you cannot pick up someone's addiction by standing over them and praying for them. You cannot pick up someone else's struggle by giving them an encouraging word. It's not contagious. So we need to get outside our little box that we say, well, God, you work in it like this. And, and again, I, I'm not complaining in this way, but there's only so many people in the world and there's only, there's a lot of people in the world and only so many pastors. We all have somebody in our lives that we can touch. We all have somebody in our lives that we can reach out and say, it's okay, you're not alone. You're not going through this by yourself. I'll be here right next to you. Because there's a lot of things that we start to hold at arm's length that we don't want to get into, but really aren't contagious. And we really should just, instead of taking a step back or holding an arm out and saying that's close enough, we should really be taking steps forward because Jesus took a step forward toward that leper. He had to get thin arms reach, Nicole, of that leper. And there's probably been a while before anybody was even that close to that guy. I wonder if he was even uncomfortable, like, okay, what are you about to do? Well, you know. But here's Jesus, and he's moved, and he's moved, and he doesn't believe the situation is right. His heart is broken. Because whether you want to believe that that word anger 
is the right word, or you want to believe that that word compassion is the right word. Either way, he is moved to do something about it. So, for today, David, let's go to the last few slides. For today, number one, if you need an attitude check, which by the way, this is me, because I've had situations where I've been like, you know what? I'm, I've washed my hands prematurely of the situation when, when I've stepped away from something and I really needed to step toward it. So I'm up here to confess to you as a believer in Christ. Get outside your box. And get your attitude in check and say, Lord, give me that opportunity. Give me that moment. And it may be the person who's been on your heart and mind and God won't let it go and God whispers, Joe Smith's name to you. I don't know who Joe Smith is, but I just picked it out. It had nothing to do with you, Joe Franks. Um, there's, you know, Frank Smith. I don't know. Anyway, so I keep saying your name. I can't get away from it, Joe. Um, but there may be somebody's name. Could be a relative. Could be a brother. Could be one of those people that you've, you've come up with all these reasons not to call them because, well, they're going to call me a hypocrite. They're going to say, who are you? Said, no, just follow God and reach out and touch that person. Touch them. Don't be afraid. Get your attitude in check and, and do what I think Paul wrote in Philippians. Let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Get outside your box. Number two. Maybe. Go ahead, Devin. Is he going to go? Maybe you feel like that leper today. Maybe as you read that this morning, you feel like that person who needs a bold prayer. Maybe you have a bold prayer for God. Maybe you've just been saying, Lord, would you? Would God even would God even touch this? Could he even do anything? And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's why we have second hour. Second hour is a time for bold prayer. If you've got something you need to ask of God, ask God. Scripture tells us we have not. Why? Because we ask not. It was bold for that leper to do that because he even left the colony. He wasn't supposed to leave. He was supposed to stay there. And he left. His prayer was, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I totally believe Jesus could do it. And that may be you. Get outside the box. Quit thinking that, well, God will only answer A, B, C, or D. You never know. Because you don't ask. Ask. And lastly, and this is really what's most important. I'd be miss to even say, to, to forget this, but I want to make sure we say this. You may have even been on the fence. There's We've had people before here at church who'd grown up in church their whole lives who realized one day, you know what, I've been going and I've been going through the motions, but I'm not really a believer. I truly believe. And this may be that day that you need to say, Lord, I, I believe and I want to follow you. And this is my, my stern encouragement, never get in the box. Think of what Jesus can do is limitless. We wear these wristbands to give our teenagers the uh, opportunity. We give them away to our youth group um, so that they can give them away. And uh, this is like the best way that I know how to explain the gospel is that he came and it was a miracle in the way he came. He went to the cross, the perfect, as Joe talked about the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. The, the only The only thing that can make it to make amends for our sin and the crime that essentially it is to God was not an animal sacrifice to roll it back, but was that the Son of God went to the cross for us. That's not a rainbow, that's an empty tomb. I have people ask me that all the time. 
but he rose. He rose, and like we watched in that video before, they were amazed by it. 500 people at least saw him after he had risen from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and our hope, and I, and I, and I pray, Blanche, I pray that I'm here to see it, because I want to see it. Because as a kid, I heard uh, an Imperial Butter commercial one time as my parents were going to bed, and there was like this trumpet sound. And I got freaked out because I thought, oh, it's the rapture. And I'm still in bed. Johnny Carson did a lot of damage to me as a child. No, um, and I'm not meaning to make a joke of it, but my, my hope is this, that one day we'll see him split that eastern sky, we'll hear the trumpet sound, and we'll get to see it. And we'll, we'll be called up. The dead in Christ rising first, hopefully I'll be there, hey, there goes my grandpa, hey, here goes me. I mean, that's what it's going to be like. And that's our hope. But while we're here, while we're here, let's follow him and be moved by the right things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your, your grace. Because Lord, I feel like there's some weeks that, man, I'm, I, I get it. And there's other weeks that I'm like, why do I keep messing this up? Why is my attitude wrong? Why is my, why is my mouth maybe not in check? But Lord, I, I plead with you today. I plead with you today that you would help us as a congregation to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, to be seated down at the right hand of God the Father. I thank you for that, Jesus, because you you give us an example in every aspect of our lives. So, Lord, when it comes to the people who are in need, Lord, I pray that you help us not to hold them at arm's length, but to really take a step toward them and ask, as many people in here often do, what can I do to help? So, Lord, today, for those who may need a course correction, Lord, I pray that you give them the grace to know that they have that. Lord, for those who have been laboring and laboring in the right ways, for the right causes, and may have felt alone, Lord, I pray that you give them strength and perseverance to say, this is what you've been doing, and I want you to keep doing it. You're becoming like me. And I pray that for all of us, Jesus, that we don't be left the way we are in our human selves, in our flesh, that day by day, we're becoming more and more like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.